Canadian the opportunity to live a fit and healthy, good life. Uh, it's, a, it's a great uh, piece there. Uh, you know, talking about our physical health, there's all kinds of other things, though. There's like the vegan good life. There's the vegan good life. That's a, that's a magazine. I don't know if there's any vegans here. I don't want to offend anybody. But what's really fun about that uh, brand is, this is what it says about the write-up of this, uh, of this magazine. It says, uh, this is a print publication on vegan counterculture packed with the very best in vegan fashion, travel, lifestyle, art, and design. Messes in brackets, wrapped in a minimal yet slick design and printed on fine quality paper. Um, so that's sort of their tag about the vegan good life. And I know what vegan food is, I, I understand that for sure, but I'm not sure I know what vegan travel is. Uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not sure I know what vegan design is or uh, our vegan architecture or, or vegan art. I, I don't know what those are, but, but I guess uh, we can have a vegan good life. It's possible to have a vegan good life. And then, of course, Dr. Oz has gotten in on the action. Uh, we have Dr. Oz's magazine entitled uh, The Good Life. And according to Dr. Oz, in this particular episode, uh, having a good life has something to do with having a flat belly which is, uh, I'm clearly disallowed from having a good life, but it might have something to do with having a, a flat belly, or if you look down at the bottom, knowing where germs hide. If you know where germs hide, you can have a, a good life. So that's, that's important for those of us who are germaphobes. I don't know if we have any of those in the house, but, but if you know where your germs are hiding, you can have a good life. Or, or we could look at Nestle. Uh, uh, this is a, a great big, f massive food brand. Good food good life. Nestle. And of course, we all know Nestle gives us 16 packs of drumsticks. Uh, 16 pack of drumsticks. But I love drumsticks. And I, if I had, could see, how many of you would buy a 16 pack of drum? So, so I don't know whether it has to do with a flat belly or whether it has to do with a fat belly. Uh, but uh, having uh, a life that is a good life is, is something that God wants for us. Uh, but what does Jesus mean when he's talking about that? What does Jesus mean when he is talking about that? And so let's just read our text for this morning. Uh, before we read it, let's just pray. Uh, Father, I ask that you would speak to us this morning through your word. I speak through my, my weariness, through this bad cold, and give me some good life there, God. Uh, I ask that you would, uh, you would get us through. I ask that you would teach us. I ask specifically, God, that you would speak to anyone here who might feel far from you. You would speak to anybody here who feels far from you, who feels like you're distant. That you would call them in and invite them in, that there would be something in this message that is for them. Father, something that draws them to you. Would you save us through your word? Would you transform us? Would you make us new? Uh, we give this time uh, to you, Lord. So our text reads in John chapter 10, verses 1 to 10, and you could look that up on your phone or, or Bible if you brought it with you. It'll also be on the screen. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And have it to the full. And we're just not going to be able to unpack all of what that text has to say, but we're going to look at a few things. Uh, but this is it. I have come that they might have life, and they might have it to the full. And if you're used to an older translation, it would be that they might have it more abundantly. That they might have life that's, that's more, life that's abundant. And so when you think of the abundant life or you think of the good life, one of the first things, and we should deal with just what our, what our initial perspective on, on that language is, when you, when you first think of the good life and you think of uh, what that might mean for you as a person, of course, the first thing you or I think of, if we're honest, is money when we think about living the good life. We, we think about our resources. We think about our, our wealth. Now, most of us aren't there thinking about, uh, could I have billions and billions of dollars? And maybe in our wildest dreams, we might think of, uh, of winning the lottery and winning 25 million or 50 million or, or selling some product that, that multiplies dollars into our family and our resources, that we might be millionaires someday. Most of us don't really think on that level, but most of us think, kind of like I think, it wouldn't it be great to have an, a nice house to live in? Wouldn't it be great to have a, a nice car to drive, health benefits, retirement plan, food on the table, freedom to travel and see the world, uh, money to send our kids to university. Uh, and those are all things that most of us would consider a desirable or, or a reasonable standard of living. And I think those things are, are wonderful. And I think those, those things are awesome. Those things are, are really, really good. And God uh, can, can help us to work towards those things. And and bless us with those things, but I don't think we could define that as the good life that Jesus is, is talking about. Because if that's our definition of the good life, those things that, that I just mentioned, those things are really only available to a very small percentage of Canadians, aren't they? Of people in Canada. To have that whole package all together in your life, that's really only a fairly small percentage of Canadians that, uh, that could have that good life. And, and, and if you look at the world, it's a minuscule percentage of people in the world that could have all of that. And, and I don't think we would want to say, I, I think we're certainly not saying that, that Jesus' good life is only accessible to a small percentage of the world. A small part of the world. So that can't be the whole of what Jesus is saying about the good life. Now, those are good things. Those are awesome things. But that can't be all that he's saying. We, we wouldn't say that Jesus' good life is denied to the single mom who's just struggling to get by and to find a job and find time to spend with her little baby and, and care for that child. Is, is that 
single mom disqualified from the good life? Is uh, the 58-year-old uh, person who's uh, trying to retire with, with no retirement plan at all, is, is that person disqualified from Jesus' good life? Uh, is, it, uh, is a college student who's wrestling with student debt uh, and trying to pay their bills, is that person disqualified from Jesus' good life? No, uh, of course not, right? And so it, it's really easy to disabuse ourselves of that idea of wealth and finance as, as being uh, the, the true path for the good life or the whole picture uh, for the good life. Uh, this is a picture of uh, Elam Bible Institute where Anna and I went to college. If you want to disabuse yourself of your understanding that the good life is tied to finance, and money exclusively, you just have to remember back in your own lives. Uh, if you look at that uh, giant apartment building, that was the administration building, and if you look at uh, one of those windows on the side of the building at the very back, that very small window on the second floor, that was our window uh, as college students in, in Lyme in New York. And we had this tiny little uh, apartment. I think, our, I think I remember some of the numbers from our income tax. I think we had somewhere in the neighborhood of four or five thousand dollars our combined household income that year as students that was uh, that was something of a challenge and uh, we had this this one bedroom apartment and that one bedroom didn't have a door on it and the kitchen was there and we had a table in our kitchen we loved our table it was from my dad it was it was a card table. Do you remember those card tables that are sort of made with stamped steel and black black paint on them and a, and a vinyl top and those sort of rickety chairs? And, and that was our, our chairs. And we had a bathroom right beside that. In that kitchen, we had this stove that was this massive. It took up half the room, this massive gas stove that we pan Every time we had to light it, it was like one of these... <laughs> light the stove and we had to light the oven the same way. Our neighbor came rushing across the apartment building because she burned her face off in her stove. Are my eyebrows still there? Are my eyebrows still there? You know, one of those. It was, it was a crazy time in that apartment building. Uh, Anna put me through school sewing wedding dresses. She made these beautiful, beautiful wedding dresses. Austrian crystal. Hours of work just hand sewed lovingly onto this, this lace in the sewing closet that I made for her in the bathroom, if these ladies had ever known that their gorgeous wedding dress had been sewn less than a meter from the toilet, uh, they, they honestly, they would have freaked. They would have freaked. And, and I remember, I remember uh, in, in that time, like laying back on our bed, which we didn't actually have a bed, it was just our mattress on the floor. Somebody had given us this mattress with a piece of plywood to put on it so that it wouldn't sag too much. We didn't have that problem because our mattress was just on the floor. So we had to throw the plywood away. But uh, our nice mattress on the floor, our 13-inch TV that Candace bought us. And, and I remember lying back on that mattress and hearing Anna bustle about in the kitchen. And I remember just thinking, I'm the king of the world. <laughs> I'm the king of the world. This is my domain. <laughs> and, and if I'll be honest, you know, over, over, who could, I'm thinking, who could want anything more than this? I have my books and I have my, my little TV and we have my beautiful wife. Who could want anything more than this? Me! The last 20 years have proved that I want more than this. Right? That, that, that we always want more than this. We're always looking for satisfaction uh, uh, in those things. But if I'll be honest, now that I have some more things, I, I'm not any more content 
than I was back then, lying out on that mattress on the floor. Am, am I more content as a person? And the answer is, if I'm really honest, uh, no, I have more, but it's really, it's just, it's just more. And so Jesus speaks into that. He's saying, I've come that they might have life. I've come that they might have life. And there's two words that Jesus could have used in this passage for life. There's two words he could have used. The first word is, is bios, and that's where we get biology. Uh, we, we, we could have uh, a life that's a bodily life, a life that's a physical life, a life that's uh, tied to our, our physical well-being. Uh, and that, that could have been the word that Jesus used, but he used the word there, zoe. And zoe refers to the spiritual life. Zoe refers to a, to a whole different kind of well-being. A whole different kind of life that Jesus longs for us to have and to have more abundantly. Uh, it, he, talks about, uh, he talks about this in John 4. He uses the same word uh, in John 4, verse 13. He says, everyone who drinks this water, he's talking about the well, uh, a physical well that he's at. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become the spring of water welling up to eternal life, eternal zoe. There's an eternal water. And, and, and any other life that we have is a life that can be stolen. He talks about that in the John 10 passage. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And all kinds of things steal our life. Drugs steal our life. Alcohol, self-worship, sexual addiction. Uh, TV steals our life. Gaming steals our life. Uh, people's praise. We can be addicted to people's praise. Uh, that can steal our life. And, and fame can steal our life. A, a desire to seek after fame or seeking after recognition. Uh, Jim Carrey speaks to this as a Canadian who's kind of famous. And, and Jim Carrey says this. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. So they can see that it's not the answer. So, so who's somebody who has it all? So who's somebody who, who's living the good life? And there's creepy Brad Pitt with creepy mustache on. I probably could have found a better, better picture of him. I don't know. Like you, anybody else have one of those creepy mustaches on right now? I can't. Looking around the room, that's bad news. Um, but, but you know, Brad Pitt has been voted multiple times the sexiest man alive. Right? He's got a, a beautiful wife who's also famous and talented in, in her own right. Uh, wonderful kids, all the money he needs. He can do absolutely anything he wants. But in this article in Rolling Stone, uh, Brad Pitt uh, says this. He says, man, I, I know all these things are supposed to seem important to us. The, the car, the condo, our version of success. But if that's the case, why is the general feeling out there reflecting more impotence and isolation and desperation at this point in time and loneliness. If you ask me, I say toss all this. We gotta find something else. Because all I know is at this point, we are heading for a dead end, a numbing of the soul, a complete atrophy of the spiritual being. And I don't want that. It's Brad Pitt. 
guy who has everything talking. And the reporter sort of asks, you know, if we're heading toward this kind of existential, existential dead end in society, what do you think should happen? He's like, Brad's like, hey man, I don't have the answers yet. The emphasis now is on success and personal gain. I'm sitting in it and I'm telling you that's not it. I'm the guy who's got everything, I know. But I'm telling you, once you've got everything, then you're just left with yourself. I've said it before and I'll say it again, it, it doesn't help you sleep any better and you don't wake up any better because of it. Your bias, your stuff, your fame, your recognition uh, will not provide you with spiritual life. With Zoe, all of that just won't provide you with the life that you want. There's another thing that we look at uh, for, for something that we gain life from that maybe this is the answer uh, to life. And, and, and those of you who are gonna graduate from high school or graduate from university this, this spring, as that comes up, you're gonna hear this very clearly. This is the bread and butter of every graduation valedictorian address that you're probably gonna hear uh, pretty commonly. Uh, this, this sort of a similar uh, thing that goes on. You need to follow your passion. You need to follow your dreams. You need to chart your own course. You need to march to the beat of your own drum. You need to find your way in the world. You need to make your decision. You need to uh, do the thing that is the thing that you are supposed to do. You need to find your way. You need to find your way. That's the, the path to the good life. Well, sociologists call this uh, expressive individualism or, or deterministic individualism, that the way that you find joy and that the way that you find happiness is by finding out exactly who you are as a person, finding out exactly who you are and trying to decide how to do that, how to be that, and how to walk it out. You hear it heard in... That phrase, by the way, expressive individualism, comes out of a book called Habs of the Heart by, or by a sociologist named Robert uh, Buell, who is, uh, who is uh, a sociologist from, I want to say he's at Sanford, but I don't think it's Sanford. Um, and, and so he's written this book, and that's where that sort of term has, has come from. He's at Berkeley. He's at Berkeley in California. Um, and that's where that term, expressive individualism, has come from. But we hear it all over the place. We hear it in uh, the language of professors. This is an Ontario professor uh, speaking at an address. He says, anything which ex restrains the expression of the self within us is to be rejected as either parental abuse, psychological repression, or cultural imperialism. Anything that speaks against that, that ability to determine your own path based on who you are within uh, comes from, from that. You've got you to write that off. That anything that's going to repress that, anything that's going to shape that, anything that's going to uh, cause you to not be exactly uh, yourself, you, you have to get rid of that. That's, that's, you've been abused by your parents. It's, you've been psychologically repressed or your culture how, your culture has, has just dominated you. Now, now the idea that you've got to be true to yourself, the idea that you have to um, be honest, the idea that you have to have integrity, uh, the idea that you don't want to be a, a person who is like a square peg jammed in a round hole, or the idea that you 
uh, shouldn't be always listening to your culture. You know, those, there's something really right about that too, right? There's something really, really good about that. You don't want to be a person who is just completely dominated by your culture. You don't want to be a person who's just uh, completely a product of the people around you or completely a product of, of, of your parents. Our, our, our ability to choose and to make choices is a God-given gift. Uh, and, and so Jesus isn't completely against any form of individualism or individuality here. In fact, in, in John chapter 10, verse 3, uh, we see this. He says, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. So, so what, what do we gather from this passage? Uh, he, he calls his sheep individually. So he doesn't just call us to be a religious conglomeration of people who just follow him like zombies, you know, en masse. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about uh, something that we, you know, we talked about this at the youth retreat. He's talking about uh, people that are individually his masterpieces that he's, he's crafting into something beautiful and, and something awesome. He, he calls us each by name. Uh, we see it in the scriptures. He knows the numbers of the hairs on your heads. Like he knows you, uh, he made you, he knit you together in, in your mother's womb. But, but where does expressive individualism fall down is when you're looking inside yourself to try to determine who you ought to be. If you're really honest about what happens when you look inside your heart, and you can just do this with me, just, just even close your eyes for a moment, and you're trying to look inside yourself and determine what voice you're to follow. If you're honest, there's a hundred voices in there. There's a hundred voices inside. How many of you have heard of people of New York, humans of New York? Beautiful, beautifully shot pictures of people just on the streets of New York and their stories. This is one that I found really, really fascinating. This, this beautiful girl just sitting here on some subway station somewhere, sitting on her suitcase. And this is what she says. People always say, you know, some of these have quotes with them. People always say, be true to yourself. But that's misleading because there are always two selves. And she's just talking about two selves. I, I think, if we're honest, there's probably hundreds inside of us. There's always two selves. There's your short-term self and there's your long-term self. And if you're only true to your short-term self, your long-term self slowly decays. Right? If you're a person who's just into instant gratification, your long-term self totally decays. If you're just purely a visionary and don't think of your immediate needs, then you, you burn out, right? There's, there's, there's those two, but there's, but there's really hundreds of different ways which we can lead ourselves uh, internally. So, so what is Jesus talking about in this scripture? How are we to find the good life? How are we to find the good life? We know it's not in our wealth. We know it's not in all of the things that shipwreck us. We know that it's not in fame and recognition. And we know that it's not in just being completely independent, individualistic people, absolutely determining everything for ourselves every step of the way. Well, this passage doesn't tell us anything about what the good life looks like, but the entire context of the passage uh, assumes one simple thing about us. 
Jesus assumes one simple thing about every human being in this passage. He assumes that we're sheep. He assumes that we're sheep. We're people who follow. We're people who need a leader. We're people who follow, and we see it here in John chapter 10, verse 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Do you want to know what the path to the good life is for you? It's not tied to your standard of living. It's not tied to how people recognize your gifts and abilities in society around you. It's not tied to your ability to choose. It's tied to your ability to choose whom you're going to follow. How are you following in life? You know, if you might be just asking yourself a question, you might be here, you might not be a Christian, you might be saying, who could I follow in life? You're, you're right, these voices inside me are confusing. These voices inside me uh, don't answer the question. Uh, my, my ability to try to lead my own life has led me to shipwreck after shipwreck and pain after pain and, and hurt after hurt. My, my, my ability to, to lead myself is clearly flawed because my life has just been filled uh, with so much pain. Well, there's somebody that you can trust. Who could it be? Maybe we could find somebody who lived with absolute perfect compassion in life. Somebody who, who would be a hero that we could follow who loves everybody. Somebody who's really wise. We could follow somebody who's really wise. We could follow somebody who's really kind and somebody who's really generous. And, and maybe we could even find, follow somebody who could forgive us from our sins. We have to follow Jesus. If you want the definition of the good life for you as an individual, for you as a person, the definition of a good life for you is being a person who's followed Jesus into the good life that Jesus has just for you. Jesus has a good life for you, tailored for you, tailored for your individual makeup, tailored for your individual story, tailored for his purpose for your life, tailored for the way that he loves you, tailored to be an expression of his love and beauty and expression of his life on the earth. Jesus has a good life just for you. And all we have to do is follow. And all we have to do is follow him. Will you follow Jesus? And what I'm going to do in just this next couple of moments is, is I'm just going to uh, provide space. I'm just going to provide a moment of silence because there are so many voices that we've been listening to and so many things that we've been hungering after and longing after. I mean, I, I had to take my boat or my, uh, my, my, my lawnmower in to get fixed the other day, and I'm looking at boats. And I mean, I needed to repent. Because, you know, my, my life sucks. I, I don't have a Lund boat. 
I have a terrible life. Like, how stupid, how ridiculous could I be? But I was so caught in that. And we've, we're like that. We've been looking at so many things to find our place in the world. And none of it's right. What is Jesus calling you to? And maybe you're here and he's calling you for the first time. Or maybe he's called you and you've left his path and he's calling you back to the path. But we're going to just take a moment of silence and I'm going to ask you to just listen to Jesus. To just listen to Jesus. Say, Jesus, how can I follow you? Would you let him be your good shepherd? Would you let him be a shepherd? Would, would he be a shepherd you can trust? Father, we just silence our hearts and ask that we would be people who can follow you. Could we be a people who would just follow you, Jesus? Would you show us what that means for us each as individuals? We ask you not for the good life. We ask you for your good life. Speak, Lord, your sheep, your children are listening. So we lay down all the stuff we've been following and we give our lives back to you again. Take us, be our savior, be our shepherd, be our Lord. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. And in your name, we